listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. And uh, hope everybody's doing well. I know that uh, at least at the time of this recording, I know that Florida has uh, has really jumped in the number of cases that uh, that are existing here now, and uh, and certainly the number of deaths as well. And so we just need to continue to be praying for uh, not only our community but for our nation, our state, our entire world, as we're still just trying to wade through this crisis, knowing full well that uh, that we have Christ that we have his love and that we have uh, the assurance that God's in control and knows what he's doing. So uh, let's just uh, be confident in that. And I'm glad you're here. Uh, really am thankful for, uh, for the David Crowder band. I love it every time we have an opportunity to sing how he loves. It's just such a great reminder. Not only is it a fun song to play and to be able to engage with our worship band, but uh, it's, it's such a true song. I love the way Eugene leads it. So we're very thankful for, uh, for, for the opportunity that we have to be together. Even though we're separated, uh, we know that we're together in our commitment to who Christ is. And if you're uh, watching with us for the very first time, I want to welcome you as well. And uh, I want to send you to our website, oasischurchwh.org. And if you go to video and podcast, maybe that's where you're at right now, just underneath the video, you'll find where you can catch up with what we've been studying in the book of Ephesians. It's where we're going to pick up today, Ephesians chapter number one. So if you have your Bible, I'll invite you to turn. Uh, Last week we studied, we continued looking at how Paul, in beginning this letter to the believers in Ephesus, a city that he ministered in, a city that he was in for two to three years, uh, where Paul is writing to them from Roman incarceration under house arrest. He's writing to encourage them. The first three chapters we're going to find in this book, uh, this letter to the Ephesian believers, Paul is talking about who we are in Christ, what we have in Christ. And then he's going to turn the corner in chapter number four and begin to tell us how we're to live that out, how we're to allow the life of Christ and what we have as a part of, uh, of being a part of God's family in Christ by faith in his death and resurrection, how that life is supposed to be lived out in us. It's been a pretty slow go, but there's been a lot in what we've already looked at. And there's going to be a lot in just the three verses we're going to cover today as we look at Ephesians 1, 7 to 10. But as a running start, in verse number three, Paul tells the believers, he says, listen, we just need to praise God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because he's blessed us in Christ. What does that mean? That means those of us who have by faith trusted Jesus as our savior, we're now realistically in him by faith and being in him, God has therefore blessed us. He says with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. That means God has, has stored and is sourcing everything we need to do everything he's called us to do and to be as followers of Jesus. And it's ours by extension because we are 
in Christ, having by faith trusted him as our Savior. Last week, we saw how that, that Paul continues as, as he's calling us to praise God because God has, has chosen us before the foundation of the world. He's predetermined some things for us. And, and I know that there are a number of you, if you watched last week, maybe you're aggravated with me because I, because I took that notion of, of choosing farther than you would like for me to have. Or maybe you're home frustrated because I didn't take it far enough. Here's what we know. We know that God's word says what it says and we know that God means what he meant. Let's not argue about, about what the chosen and predestining means as much as let's agree on the fact that God intended for followers of Jesus to not only stand before him holy and blameless on that day, but he also determined of his own will by his own grace that he would adopt us who know Christ by faith. He would adopt us into his family. We can praise God on what we certainly agree on, and that is that God intended to do something radical in our life, making us holy and blameless, I believe, on that day when we stand before him, having, uh, having had Christ returned and brought us and, and brought to completion everything that he has started, and, and then making full that adoption that he intended of his own will, of his own choosing. And we should be praising God the Father because of, of his great love, because of his glorious grace in which he has bestowed on us in his beloved. And, and that's where we're going to pick up today in verse number seven, because Paul changes his call that we are to praise God the Father, and, and he shifts it now toward the second person of the Godhead, who is God the Son, his beloved Jesus Christ. So to kind of get a running start, uh, Ephesians 1, 6 says, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Verse number seven, in whom, talking about Jesus, the beloved, moving to God the Son, in whom we have redemption. Now, in these three verses, I want to camp out on, on, on a few words and phrases. And that first one that I want us to stop on is this word, redemption. Paul is causing us or calling us to praise God the Son through whom we have Redemption. This word redemption, it means to, to buy back, to pay a price in order to secure the release of something or something or someone that's being held. It, it means to liberate, to ransom. This word redemption. It's a, it's a word that, that God has used not only in the Old Testament, but also in the New. It's this idea of, of God paying to buy something off of the slave market, paying to release something from an oppression or, or a slave master. This idea that, that is communicated again in Paul when he speaks to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, number 20, and he tells Christians that, that they need to be mindful of, of how they are using their bodies and how they are, are, are exercising the things that they're doing in this life because we don't belong to ourselves. Paul says, no, you've been bought with a price. You've been 
redeemed. You've been brought into a, a new sphere by the purpose and will of another. In the Old Testament, it, it, it talks about one of the most familiar of those buying back scenarios in, in the life of Ruth when Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, purchased from the, the next of kin the right to call Ruth the widow of Naomi, his distant relative, Boaz purchased the right to bring her a widow with no hope into his home and to provide her with security and to provide her with a namesake and to provide her with a covering. We see this redemption. And God throughout scripture in the Old Testament was consistently using terminology to bring Israel, his chosen people, back into fellowship with him, purchasing them from captivity in Babylon, according to the the words of, of Jeremiah and others of the prophets, to bring them back, to buy them back. I think about Hosea that God called to, to marry the prostitute. And when she left him and was found back on the slave market, God called Hosea to go and buy his bride back and bring her back to his home. This idea of, of ransom, of liberation, freeing us from our captivity, this notion of bringing us to freedom. The scripture says that we have present redemption now and then there's an idea of future redemption to come in our text here Paul says in him in Christ we have redemption it's ours God has freed us and we're going to learn in just a few minutes what he has freed us from but God has freed us now but but also in Romans chapter 8 verse 23 Paul says that we're awaiting our redemption the redemption of the body while we know that we've been freed from from slavery to sin we know that we still live within the reality of our own sin nature and Paul says we're waiting i believe he's referring to when Christ re- returns and brings us that resurrection life that full redemption where we no longer are even are even bothered by the presence of sin in our life and we experience the fullness of that redemption that that we have now but that that we are waiting for in the future it's the same with our adoption last week we talked about God's intent to adopt us as sons and daughters we we who know Christ as savior those who are in Christ by faith alone in his death and resurrection as payment for their sin we are in him and and God has brought us by adoption into his family but we're also awaiting that fullness of adoption when we stand before him, when we experience him in the full. So this redemption that we have, it's both for now and for the future. This redemption that is ours in Christ, this payment that was made came at a cost. Paul tells us what the currency of our redemption, what did it cost God to bring us redemption? What did it cost God to bring us into his family? What did it cost God to to provide for us everything we need to do everything he's called us to do? He tells us right here. He says in, in him, talking about Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. 
What did it cost God to pay for your redemption and mine, Christian? It cost the blood of Jesus. It cost his life. I did a, a simple little search uh, looking at, at how the blood was used in the, uh, in the New Testament and specifically when it was talking about the blood of Jesus. And, and, and if you have you version and you're following along in the live event notes, then, uh, then all of these scriptures should be laid out before you. But I, I'll put them up on the screen as well and, and hope that you'll be able to go back and read these. But here, here's what they say. Acts 20, 28 says that, that he purchased us with his blood. Luke 22, 20 says that when, when Jesus was, was, was instituting the Lord's Supper and he says, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant, the new that is being made available through my blood. Romans three twenty five, and we're going to read this in, in just a little bit again. It says, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. Well, what does that mean? We'll get to it in a second. Romans 5, 9 says that we have been justified by his blood. Colossians 1, 20 says that he, talking about Jesus, has reconciled to himself all things, making peace by the blood of his cross. Hebrews 9, 12 says, by means of his own blood, he secures an eternal redemption. First Peter 1, 18 and 19 says that we are ransomed by the precious blood of Christ. First John 1, 7 says that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Revelation 1, 5 says that he has freed us from our sin by his Blood. Revelation 5, 9 says that he has ransomed people. He's redeemed people from every tribe, every language, and every people by his blood. Church, we need to praise the name of Jesus because we've been freed. We've been set free. We've been bought back from that which held us captive. We have been liberated by God the Son and it cost us or it cost him his blood, his life to set us free. We have redemption and he is worthy of our praise and that redemption is ours through his blood. Shed in your place, shed in my place for our sin. He says, in him, verse 7, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespass. Well, before we talk about the word forgiveness, I want to call an audible and I want to go a little further and talk about the trespass first. This idea of trespass, it literally means to take a false step, to step off the right path. It's a word that, that le the lexical definition means a violation of moral standards. Trespass means offenses, 
wrongdoings, it means sins. This idea of, of sin, it begins for us with the first disobedient act of Adam and Eve in the garden. It begins with Adam when all humanity, according to Romans, was plunged into guilt because of the sin, the disobedience of one man. But it extends farther than that. This trespass, these trespasses that, that we have experienced redemption from and forgiveness for through the blood of Jesus, it extends to our own sinful actions. It's anything that we ever say or do or think or any inclination of our being that is less than or, 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 or it falls short of the perfection and the holiness of God. And so we know, we recognize that, that when we consider ourselves not compared to one another. If we consider ourselves and we compare ourselves to each other, we might say, well, I'm not so bad as, as he is or, or I'm not nearly as bad as she is. But, but that's not where we're to draw our comparison. We're to draw our comparison to the perfection, the holiness, the righteousness of our creator God. And when we do that, when we compare ourselves to him, it's not an argument about whether or not I'm guilty because of Adam. But if we just simply compare who we know ourselves to be to perfection, we find ourselves utterly and hopelessly sinful. We're sinners. And we're sinners that can't do anything about our sin because even if we try, our very actions would be tainted by sin. And so we are by default through Adam guilty. And we are by our own actions caught red-handed guilty of sin. But God's word says that we're to praise God the Son because in him we've been set free. We've been liberated. We've been bought back from the slave master of sin. And we've been purchased. We've been bought back by his own blood shed for you, shed for me. And he's bought us back in order to provide forgiveness for all of our sin. This word forgiveness, it means the act of freeing from obligation, guilt, or punishment. It's the act of cancellation. I remember when, uh, when our firstborn, Rhett, was born uh, almost uh, 21 years ago. Next week, it'll be 21 years. I remember when he was born, it's a long story, but the company that I was working for went bankrupt and we lost our, our insurance right in the middle of the pregnancy, toward the middle end of the pregnancy. And, and at the time we were young and we didn't really know anything. And, and, and they told us, if you want to keep your insurance, you can purchase this thing called Cobra. Y'all know insurance, you know what it is. And, and I looked at the bill on that thing and I was just like, there's no 
way we can afford to pay for this COBRA insurance. I mean, good grief, by the time we pay for this insurance, we would have been able to pay for the birth. Well, what I didn't know is that our firstborn son, Rhett, was going to, to cost what it would be for a natural birth because Stacy was in labor for uh, over 20 hours. And then when things didn't work out like they, doctors thought they should, they said, well, we're going to do a, a cesarean and we're going to take uh, the baby. Well, well, that didn't mean that it was, uh, it, it was just going to be tacked on to uh, or, or that we were changing price tags. No, we, we got the full bill for the 21 hours of natural labor and then we got the full bill for the cesarean and just let me tell you I should have been smart enough to go to my brothers and sisters and to the church and say guys I can't afford this cobra can you help me because when we got that bill oh my goodness I had no idea babies cost so much and so we started paying on that bill just as much as we could at the time I think we were paying like a month on this bill that was somewhere between $15,000 and $20,000. And so this thing was just enormous. And and, and our pastor came to us one day, bless his heart. He came and he said, Kevin, how how much do y'all owe on that bill? I kind of, you know, I looked down, I told him the amount. It was was well over $15,000. And he was like, how are you coming on that? I said, Pastor, it's going to take us forever, but you know, we're going to stick with it and we'll pay what we can and we'll get that thing paid down. He said, listen, I want to try something. I want to ask the church if they'll, if they'll give toward this and then I'm going to ask the guys in leadership if they'll match that with some of the church funds. And here's what I want us to do. I want us to gather up all we can gather up and then I'm going to write a letter to the hospital and I'm going to say we're prepared to make this lump chunk payment and I'm going to ask them to forgive the remainder. I think the church took up somewhere between 3500 maybe even $5,000, leaving like $10,000 of a bill. Pastor took up, got the money, got the check together and, and, and sent it or sent the letter first and says, hey, we've got this amount of money that we'd like to pay for and, and that we'd like to put toward uh, the Clark's bill. Would you be willing to forgive the remainder? And uh, to my utter surprise, they were so thrilled to get that amount that they said, sure, we'll forgive the rest. Now, that illustration breaks down when it comes to our sin because we don't bring anything to the table. We're not negotiating with God in any way. But, but where that illustration hits home is that I never paid another dime of that $10,000. It was canceled. It was forgiven. It was gone. We didn't owe it anymore. And I'm just telling you, this idea of forgiveness is God looking and saying, because of the price that I've been, I've been able to pay on your behalf. The blood of Jesus Christ cancels, it forgives, it allows me to free you from the obligation you have for the sin that you have that's from Adam and the sin that you have that's your own. I'm able to forgive you. I'm able to cancel that debt. Forgiveness. Now, if you're a Christian, I can think of no better reason for you and I to have a heart of thanksgiving and praise no matter what's going on around us in our world, in our circumstances. If you know Jesus by faith and Jesus alone, you've been set free from captivity. You have been redeemed. You've been 
purchased by the precious blood of Jesus and your sins, your trespasses that you're completely incapable of addressing have been canceled. Sins of my past, sins of my present, sins of my future, as far as as far as my guilt, as far as my responsibility towards them is concerned, gone, canceled. I love what, what Romans 3, 24 through 26 says, and there's some big words that I, that I, I want to I bring out. We don't have time to really flesh out uh, completely, but I do want to read this. Romans 3, 24 to 26 says that we are justified by his grace. God has declared us righteous. It's a legal term, justification. It's, it's, it's similar to this idea of forgiveness, but this is a legal term. God has in a, in a courtroom setting declared that we're righteous. How can he do this? How is that possible for God to declare a sinner righteous? Well, he's done it by his grace as a gift, Paul says in Romans. And he's done it through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward, whom God put forward as a propitiation. Now this word propitiation, it's, it's complicated, uh, but it means that it's, a, it's an appeasement uh, of the offended party. And it's appeasing the, the offended party from wrath or for anger. It's this idea that, that there is a debt that, that is going to require judgment and wrath. And this propitiation appeases that wrath. It's a word that actually refers, if you find it in the book of Hebrews, it goes back to the idea of the Ark of the Covenant, that golden laid box that many of you have seen in the movie, uh, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark with, with Indiana Jones and they, they bring this box out. It, 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 was, it was in the tabernacle in Israel. It was in the temple of Israel and it was a piece of furniture that God had the people of Israel construct for a particular purpose. And one of those purposes was that once a year on the day of atonement, the priest would take a sacrifice that had been made for the entirety of the people for all of their sin. And on that day, the high priest would take the blood from that sacrifice and he would take it behind the curtain where only he could go. And if anybody else went back there, they would lose their life. And on that day, the priest would go back and he would pour the blood of that sacrifice that had been made on behalf of all of the people of Israel. And as he poured the blood on the top of that Ark of the Covenant, God's wrath against sin, God's anger against the sin of his people would be appeased. And the top of the Ark of the Covenant was known as the mercy seat. And that term utilized in the book of Hebrews, this mercy seat is where we get this propitiation. And Romans here says that God put Jesus forward as that sacrifice, that propitiation that appeases the wrath by his blood verse 25 says God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received that's talking about you and me by faith 
receiving the blood that was poured out on the cross as payment for your sin and mine by faith believing that Jesus was the sufficient sacrifice for my sin and yours and that God raised him victorious from the dead by faith. Paul says, he did this to show his righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. For years and years and years, God would allow the blood of bulls and goats to just continue to cover over sin. Year after year, God was having to accept this, this insufficient payment for sin to cover while he waited, while we waited for the sacrifice that would supersede all of those and could redeem mankind from their sin. He did this. He did put forward Christ as a propitiation in his blood to show his righteousness at this present time so that God might be just in holding us responsible for sin and not forgiving something that had to be paid for, not, not setting aside something and, and winking an eye to it. No, that so God could be just in, in maintaining his holiness and at the same time be able to be the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That's Romans 3, 24 to 26. In his blood, God put him forward so that he might maintain his only or his, his own holy integrity and at the very self-same time be able to with, with integrity declare those who by faith in Jesus have trusted in the sacrifice that God put forward, declare them righteous. Forgive them of their trespasses. Adopt them as his sons and daughters. Be, begin the process of making them holy and blameless that he's going to complete on that day and provide for them every spiritual blessing needed to accomplish anything and everything he's called us to do and to be. Paul says, praise God the Son who's provided redemption in his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, the verse goes on to say. We've already praised God the Father for his glorious grace, his glory that's characterized by his grace. And here goes Paul again saying, Jesus did all this for us because of his grace favor bestowed on us of no deserving because he loves us according to the riches of his grace he shed his blood to forgive our trespasses and provide us redemption verse 8 talking about this grace which he lavishes upon us. Now, when the guys went up to Snowbird a couple of years ago, uh, Brody did an illustration uh, about soap and a loofah, and I'm not even gonna try to do that. It's hilarious. And it was probably only appropriate for an audience of men. But, but I wanna give you a personal illustration of when I think about this lavishing, a, a word that means that God causes his grace to be poured out on us in abundance. So my mom, 
she loves, well, I was going to say she loves to cook. I don't know if she loves to cook as much as she loves to see folks enjoy what she cooks. So some of you may be watching that, that know my mom have been in my mom's kitchen and have enjoyed what she cooks. You know this, and, and maybe even some of you here have experienced some of that. Here's, here's what happens. Every supper night of the week and every Sunday at lunch, my mother puts on a spread that will rival most homes' Thanksgiving Day meals. I, I, I would put it up there. I would bet on that. I mean, there's more food than you could possibly eat. And here's the thing. If you leave from my mom's house any night during the supper meal or any Sunday after lunch, if you leave from there hungry, it's your fault because she lavishes the food, the goodies, the desserts, anything that you want. She's just dumping this out and it's more than you can eat. And trust me, I push the limit every time we go up there. Paul says this grace that God has bestowed on us is not just grace that comes uh, in, in the process of redemption and the forgiveness of our sin. No, this is grace that he lavishes upon us and pours out upon us in abundance. I think about what Jesus said in, in John chapter 10, verse 10, where he says, uh, 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 I have come that, that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. This grace that is, that is ours and that God has utilized, he, he hasn't, he hasn't uh, uh, exhausted it. He's just demonstrated the extent that he will go. For those that he loves, we need to praise God the Son for the redemption that we have in his blood, the forgiveness of our sins that comes from this abundant grace that he just pours out on us lavishly more than we could ever exhaust in the benefits that he's given us to accomplish everything he's called us to. We need to praise God, the son. And he's done all this, the verse says, in all wisdom and insight. I think what Paul means here is that God knew exactly what he was doing because he did what he did through Christ at the exact point in time that, he is, that his purpose had planned. Chuck Swindoll says it this way, what he means by in all wisdom and insight, how God has done this thing through Christ. He says, God's timing is perfect. His plan is impeccable and his purposes unimpeachable. We need to praise God the Son. We need to praise God the Father for his intention through the Son on our behalf, redemption, forgiveness, grace upon grace upon grace upon grace, just at the right time. And then he tells us what that time was for in verse number 9 and 10. 
making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, that is Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. We see that God has brought us through God the Son. He's brought us into the loop of this mystery. This thing that's been hidden in, 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 in centuries past, in the, in the redemption plan past, it wasn't known to Abraham. It wasn't known to Moses or David or Daniel or Samuel or the prophets. It wasn't even known to the disciples until the resurrection and the Holy Spirit comes And I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but we're going to talk about in chapter number two what this unifying mystery that God intends to bring us into the loop on. Bottom line is it's praiseworthy. We get to be a part of something that followers behind never even imagined. We need to praise God for the redemption that we have through the blood of our Savior, the forgiveness, our tresp- uh, the forgiveness of our sin, the grace upon grace upon grace that he lavishes on us in abundance and for making known things to us that we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks and that, and that we have become a participant in the things that God is doing and bringing to completion in the fullness of time. Those things that we can walk in today and those things that we can look forward to and hope in for tomorrow. The doxology, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son today, and Holy Ghost. Why? Because we've been ransomed from slavery to sin. We've been forgiven of our sins. We have an unlimited supply of God's grace. We are right where God wants us to be. And we get to experience the fulfillment of his purposes both now and into the future. Christian, I know that this circumstance and situation is aggravating and frustrating. I know that we want to be back to work. We want to be back to normal. I understand that things aren't like we expected them to be. We're not able to do and to accomplish the things that are on the schedule. We don't know how the, 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 the school year is going to end. We don't know if the summer vacation plans are going to get canceled. Are we going to lose our money? How much money are we losing in the stock market? What about our jobs? What about our tithes? What about our offering? What are we going to do, Christian? We're going to to praise God the Son because none of that stuff has any effect on our redemption by his blood, the forgiveness of our sin, the grace upon grace that he pours out on us, the being brought into the loop of a mystery that's been hidden for centuries that we get to be a part of today as we wait on the fulfillment that is to come. We got plenty to praise. If you don't know Jesus as Savior, 
you have absolutely heard the gospel to the best of my ability. You know you. You're a sinner. If you compare yourself to perfection, you know you are indeed not perfect. And any amount of imperfection is sin and separates us from our creator. But God in his great love, in his great grace, in his great mercy has provided the answer to our sin, has provided the answer to our slavery. He's provided the answer to, I just can't do what I'm trying to do and to be. And it's impossible. And God says, I know it. And so I've provided the answer. God, the son in the flesh, in your place, crucified, poured out for your sin and mine, buried, but raised victorious and received only by faith. But when by faith you trust him and him alone, when by faith you surrender to him and him alone, when by faith you say, God, I can't, but I believe you did, and I want what you've provided for me, then he becomes the justifier, the forgiver, the declarer of righteousness for you right where you're at with your family, even out loud with other people in the room, it would be totally appropriate for right where you're there to say, God, I believe you hear me and I believe I'm a sinner and I don't think I can do anything about that, but I believe what this dude is saying. I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe that you 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 put him forward as a sacrifice because of your great love for me. And you did that because of your own grace. And I trust that. I believe it. I surrender to you. I surrender my life to Jesus. I want to be yours. That same book of Romans says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord by faith in Jesus and Jesus alone will be saved. And if you did that, I want you to communicate to me. I want to know that. I want to be able to rejoice with you. And I want to be able to help you, put you on a path of of some some tools and resources that will help you to understand more about what is happening and how you can pursue this new life that you have in Jesus. Christian, encourage one another this week. Tell somebody about this great redemption that we have in Jesus. Make that offer. Ask them, don't they want to receive it? Got a lot to pray about. Got a lot of folks that are sick and are hurting. So as we finish today, I'm going to pray for you. Y'all be praying for me this week. Pray for one another. Reach out to one another. We love you, church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity to look to your word. We thank you for what you provided for us in Jesus. I thank you that he is alive today that he is making intercession for us. He is, he is watching over those of, of his uh, brothers and sisters who by faith trusted in, that, in that, uh, that, that sacrifice that he has made for us on our behalf. 
God, I thank you that he is waiting to return, and we believe that he is. God, I'm thankful that you are absolutely in control, uh, that we don't have to look to you and wonder if you know what's going on. God, we believe that you are, and we trust in your will. We trust in your ability to know what is best and how you're going to use something that is, that is incredibly tragic, that is incredibly frustrating, that is incredibly frightening if we allow ourselves just to look at the circumstances around us. God, help us to recognize that you will use these events to bring glory to yourself, and, and, and we want to be a part of that, regardless of what that means for us personally. God, we ask that you will touch the bodies of those that are sick. We pray that you would overshadow those that are in the healthcare system, that you will uh, provide those, those things that are needed to protect their health. God, we ask that you will uh, help those that are, are, are uh, just in need because of loss of job, loss of, uh, uh, of, of resources in their, in their accounts. God, that are, that, are, that are seeing their retirement go away, I pray that you would provide what is needed. God, that you would give us the ability to see what our role is in, service, in this in service to one another as we proclaim your name to those we come into contact with. God, we love you. We thank you. We praise you, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for what you have done for us and in us and, God, what you want to do through us. And so we just say, praise be your name. We trust you. We love you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. We really do thank everybody who's watching near and far. And hey, Scott Phillips, you're watching in South Carolina. You know what to do. Wash those hands. We love you, church. We'll see you next time.